0: thank you for for agreeing to to speak to me today to have a chat yeah, um we okay. both have a mutual friend uh, he's an expedition friend for you and we've been chatting about this area that you've been mm-hmm. investigating for the last year year and a half and as a bigfoot fan and a, a researcher i just kind of keep thinking to myself i've got to talk to brian and find out what's going on there because if this is an active area if yeah. this is very secretive, you know, that it's protected, the research is protected to clearly you know, gain untainted evidence, yeah. then, you know, this is something we've got to, we've got to have a look at. So yeah, yeah, thanks for coming on and, uh, and discussing that. Um, what I wanted to ask you though, before that is some background questions, the usual things, you know, of things we ask all Bigfooters, which is why? Why Bigfoot? Why choose that? What what happened to you? What triggered you to becoming um,
1: a Bigfoot devotee? It's an interesting question. Uh, I don't have any sort of childhood experiences uh, that would trigger this sort of fascination. For me, it started, like a lot of people my age, uh with two things the legend of boggy creek and the six million dollar man and about the same time in my memory i remember that show exactly yeah uh boggy creek happened that movie was uh incredibly formative part of my part of my formation um for interest in this topic and then the six million dollar man uh tussled with uh bigfoot uh on his show it turns out bigfoot in that show was a robot made by aliens i don't think that the actual uh, what ape is a robot made by aliens but in that show he was and uh and then of course the patterson gilman film i grew up in southern california i grew up in la i'm a city kid i the first time i actually went camping like for real was like 2003 so i was wow. well into adulthood i, I think okay. i had spent a grand total of two nights in a campground like in an actual forest before that in my grandparents pop-up trailer so i didn't really know anything about Going into the woods i wasn't uh, an outdoors type person except for the outdoors things you can do in southern california which is go to the beach and things like that um so for me it was very much a pop culture kind of uh exposure and that's that's what started it and then at one point uh we were on a on a family trip on a driving trip and we stopped at some roadside you know thing and there was a, a You know they sell books and things at these roadside places and one of them was a book uh by john green called the sasquatch files and i think yeah it's Mm. i still have it as a matter of fact and it's it plays a role in in my reintroduction to the topic as as a as Mm. an adult but you know, back in the day, that was probably in the seventies. You know, mid to late seventies, I would imagine, uh, when I found that book, and I uh, had nothing better to do but sit in the back of the car and read it, and reread it, and keep reading it, and that's you know, that's what I did. And what struck me at the time, what continued to stick with me for a long time, was that that book. There were some sensational things that John put in that book, some sensational stories, but for the most part they were these were just you know the reports he'd collected up to that point and they were very mundane like you know somebody seeing one standing by the side of the road and things like that i mean they were many of them were just perfectly boring you know if, if they were any other animal um and i think that made an impact on me because it it wasn't a scary monster in the dark it wasn't um it wasn't uh you know uh, a, a s- stories that you tell around campfires not that i knew anything about those uh, it was just the, it was just an animal doing animal things, and people were just mm. seeing it going about its, you know, regular existence. Uh, and also, it helped me understand something that a lot of people to this day don't understand when I talk to them about it for the first time is that we're not talking about one thing, Bigfoot, like the Easter Bunny. Where I mean, there's mm. this is a, a population of animals. And so anyway, from a very early age, I understood that because John's book was so good at at describing, you know, different shapes and sizes and colors and things like that. So clearly we were talking about a, a population of animals. But for for me, that's really where it started, you know. And, and I was ob- as obsessed as any other, you know, 10 or 12-year-old kid would have been um, with, with the subject. And, uh, yeah, that was that was my beginnings in it. Wow. I mean, it's
0: it, those, the movies, the book you mentioned, but also the movies, they were formative. Many of those movies were formative for me. And I, I suppose the PG film... Yep. It's the same for all people you know, around about our age group. We would have seen that. Uh, I think I might have seen a rerun of it. I was born in seventy six, so a little bit later, but not too far. You know, not too far off that time. And I was. Yeah, I think I was
1: born. I was born there a month before the PG film was made. So, oh wow, okay. I, I was. I wasn't seeing it in its first. <laughs> in its first. No, I, no. I'm jealous of all those folks that say they were able to join the Ro- Roger Patterson fan club and things. Like, I'm just not quite old enough. Yeah. To
0: things well, yeah, i would love to have been there but also yeah. um without putting too fine a point and i've been much further along toward the end of this point too so i'm glad to be where i am but you know and to be able to review that's great stuff because it could have just disappeared you know it was fantastic right. footage and some of the things we see with other cryptids that have been reported around the world sooner or later the interest dies down there are no yeah. further reports and and it disappears now there's that brings me actually to a question about the series about Bigfoot, it's a community that's exploded over the last 10 to 15 years, especially. And there's a lot of competing theories in the community. I suppose you could say that in many cases, there's a religious or philosophical element to the belief surrounding the creature. And I'm just wondering Mm -hmm. why you think that is. You know, I think that I think that there
1: is uh definitely an element of faith in in the way a lot of people relate to this animal. Um the the things that they uh, the, you know, the, the sort of powers that they ascribe to it or the way that they think about it. Um some of them will even sort of um equated as some sort of um higher being right like we're the ones who are the problem and you know they're anyway so it, it's it's a really it's it's a it's a it's an approach and a kind of a, a, a way of thinking about it that is hard for me to really get my head around but i agree that there is an element of faith and I, and what powers that i think you know you think about our life today and how it's changed um especially in the last several decades we're we're we we live in a world where a lot of things feel like they're outside of our control and we feel like technology is is pushing us along at a pace that maybe we're not comfortable with and technology is changing our society whether it's social media algorithms or, or what have you um uh you know inciting and inflaming people um and mm-hmm. so i think that there's a, a call for a lot of people that like a yearning back to nature and a simpler time. And I think that, that wood apes for some people represent like a sort of a, a simpler version of ourselves, you know, a, a simpler way of being, uh, living in harmony with, with the, with the environment and, um, not exploiting the environment, not, um, you know, dealing with technology, changing things at a pace that's too fast. So for me, I, I feel like some of that is just a, a yearning for people to live in a simpler time, maybe, um, yeah uh yeah so i i i mean my thing is i just really like being in the wilderness and outdoors and so what i enjoy about going out and looking for these apes is that it's it's like camping with a mission it's camping with a purpose you know you're hiking with a thing that you're doing other than just hiking which is fun and great Mm -hmm. but it's every time you go out there it's like there's there's like this undercurrent of you know something could happen and then that's it's just fun. It's it's more of an adventure than, you know, it is just enjoying the
0: the nature part of it. No, I, I agree with that completely and feeling as though you have as you say, a mission or the possibility of, of right. discovering something as yet uh, unclassified yeah. in, in the scientific literature is is an amazing feeling, but, but yeah. perhaps this could be the day that you do it. I, I feel like with all, all cryptic expeditions. Now, talking about that, actually, I know you've just come back from Area X is it's, yeah. it's commonly called. It's yeah. an area you've been monitoring for for quite a while. Could you just tell the audience what is Area X and, and yeah. uh, what are some of the experiences that, that your team has had
1: there? Area X is a part of the Washita Mountains in southeastern Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 name for it, Area X, goes way back to uh, when the old Texas Bigfoot research center had sort of three main research areas and they were just called X, Y, and Z. Um, and I, I've, I've been to X and Y, I never got to go to Z. Um, and so area X is just the one that kept producing, you know, uh, evidence and that we were able to keep working in. Um, so that's why it's called area X. It's not like it's, you know, some sort of great brand. Though I think it is a great brand name. It wasn't intended to be that. Um, my first trip into Area X, which again is this sort of larger region, I think that you know you could define it multiple ways. And for a long time, I think we sort of defined Area X as just this one valley. But I think now um, the North American Wood Ape uh, Conservancy several years ago published uh, a, um, a paper on some radio tag data. Um, I believe, and they believe that that they were able to put a, a radio tracking device on a wood ape and looking oh, wow. at the range of that animal and and looking at, at all of the the area that it went around i think it was eye opening in that it it wasn't staying inside one valley it was actually traversing a number of watersheds and going up and down and over mountains and around and so at least in my mind that sort of like opened the aperture of how big area x is now what's interesting about this part of the country is that it is only so big. I apologize. Like the wind is blowing this curtain around, and I feel like I'm. Anyway, um, I don't. I don't hear anything at all. By the way. Okay. Good. Good. No. Um, yeah. What's interesting about this part of the country is that the the these mountains are very steep. They're very rocky. They're not especially tall as mountains go, mm-hmm. but but the landscape is extraordinarily rugged, and so you can see on a map encroaching agriculture encroaching civilization, though there's not a lot of people that live in this part of the world, um, all kinds of human development. And when mm. it gets closer to these mountain ranges, it kind of peters out because they're just so hard to deal with, you know, from a uh. from state of like logging and that, that sort of thing. Um, so there just isn't as much human activity. So it, in a way, to me, I think of it as kind of like a pond um, where the tadpoles are all concentrated ah, or okay. like drying yeah. up lake or something and so the, the the habitat was probably at one point much much larger and you know they've sort of concentrated. so at this point I think what you're looking at is is a series of valleys, a series of watersheds mm. um, that have uh, a large number you know I'll put an asterisk on that. I don't know how big I don't know how many apes we're talking mm. about, but there's enough apes that if you go in there and you go, into the area off the beaten path um and you stay there for a certain period of time and you kind of know what you're looking for you have a really good chance of of hearing or smelling or even seeing something um and it's just i think it's just sort of a a combination of human pressure and topography and an actually really diverse and rich um ecosystem that has allowed this this population of apes to, to survive there so that's that's in a nutshell what it is and and if you Mm. look on a map of southeastern oklahoma you totally can see the area i'm talking about it's really pronounced it's it's this Mm. again these these ribbony mountains really interestingly they set up east west and in in north america there's very very few mountain ranges that set up east west they all all the rest of them go north primarily um so uh it's pretty it's pretty obvious on a map when when you see like the the general area that i'm talking about here and uh and yeah, I, I just think that it's it's this combination of there not being a ton of people around and the mountains themselves sort of defending the animals that okay. live in them um, that makes it possible for these apes to to live there and probably reproduce. That's another thing that because it's so hard to get into, because relatively few people really penetrate these woods off mm. the ATV trails, I believe, and, and a lot of people who've been going in there believe that that it's a sort of a refugium for these animals. They can go in there and reproduce and um, and sort of raise their young in a in a way that maybe they can't do um, in other areas where they might be perfectly happy to live and eke out an existence. So they wouldn't necessarily want to raise their young there.
0: Wow, I mean that's amazing. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning of that uh, that conversation that you had a a group had a radio tracker on yeah. one of these animals. Yeah. How did what did that involve? How did they manage to do that? If you go to the naWAC website mm. um,
1: woodape.org I think it's like tag seven I, you can Google this um, okay uh, so the way that this worked was I was in that group at the time and and we had been sort of operating for several seasons at this in this one area where there were a, a number of of sort of very basic, Cabins. They were like basically fancy shacks, but they were mm. out deep in these valleys. And um, we'd been there so long that we had learned sort of where the apes went and the, and like literally the, the pass that they would use mm. as, as they moved through this area. um And so the group, a, a guy named Alton Higgins, who, who is, was sort of like really important um, as far as uh, as being an influence on my life and, and being interested in this subject. He had developed this, um, this sort of technique of putting up string traps where he would take black thread and string it up in a way so that if a tall animal went through mm-hmm. there, an animal even taller than me, I'm six feet tall, it would pull this string and you would know that it went through there. That was one of the ways that we had determined when I was in the group that the how these animals were moving around and where they were. Um, so you marry that with this idea of taking actual radio tracking devices, which is something that biologists, field biologists use for all kinds of animals and all kinds of sizes. The ones that the NAWC was using were actually kind of big. Um, there's a fellow in the group that used to be in the group who sort of MacGyvered a way to put one of these tags, one of these trackers inside a sort of a prickly seed pod, um, and then put some sticky glue on it, and then you hang it on one of these strings, and it looks like a piece of just forest detrius, like mm-hmm. leaves or something. And what what apparently happened is that an ape walked through there and picked up this tag. And um, without getting into all the gory details, again, if you go to the uh, uh, whatape.org and, and download the paper, you'll see the data and, and you'll get the backstory. But I believe that the group tagged one of these apes, which not only Amazing. was because no one's ever done that to a wood ape um as far as as far as i know no one's ever done that to any animal no animal has ever been sort of self-tagged in the Mm -hmm. way that that animal did um and and you know the again the the sort of cliff notes version of this is that animal um went hither and yon all around where we were where we were spending time the that the group was able to put planes in the air with with trackers they they got lots of hits so there's many data points that they have that shows the range of that animal before the tag stopped transmitting um and it's it's really incredible data i mean at some point when these it's animals fascinating. yeah when they're proven to be real um the data is going to be invaluable because it's going to be actual hard data about you know movement of the animal through different seasons and things like that it's pretty cool stuff Oh, what I find amazing about that
0: in fact is I know other people are doing great work like that, a science based academic work out there in a field practical way. Right? But what I find amazing about it is how how um that's not often the case in the Bigfoot community. Most of us are just strolling out there in the woods, some people yeah. are calling, some people are hitting trees, right. some people are taking pictures of sticks bunched together and and right. and claiming that to be you know wood day yeah. activity, which let's not say it's not, but you know right. one would expect things like hairs and tracks and other things to be around those structures. Yeah. And this is just so practical, you know. I love the yeah. Maguire method. I I'm I'm, I'm sold. I, in fact, the first thing I thought was I'm taking that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's taking it's, that. <laughs> it, it was a. It's sort of a
1: marriage of uh, opportunity. Under, again, understanding the movement of these apes, which took years to figure out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that you couldn't just hang one of these in the forest randomly and expect oh. that it would work. Um, and you then we
0: knew where they were walking before. Right, it was we we already strong. knew because yeah. you know,
1: Alfred put these string tracks up lots of times, and and they've been they've been triggered, they've been pulled, and and, and in such a way that the strings are like up in the branches. So whatever whatever got into the string pulled it along at that height that didn't just like fall down Mm -hmm. or anything um so you we had a really good understanding of the sort of pathways that the animals were using very very locally to where we were Mm -hmm. and then having someone in the group who was able to to you know take some you know hillbilly know-how so to speak and 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 doctor one of these things together but then also that group has um, something that m- many groups don't have. There are a few, I think, that are sort of in the same league, but they have a lot of resources, i.e., mm-hmm. money. Um, so they are able to buy these these tags and
0: and the yeah, technology sure. to track them. And and yeah, to anybody listening out there, obviously, um, who's going out in the field by themselves and doing that work, not criticizing you for for not hanging radio no. tracking devices on no. on bigfoot. We understand we- that they're expensive. Um, yeah. you know, I've got a few th- game times in the past, and even those, you know, boys are pretty and they one at the, a premium, right. you know, so it's yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's basically where I am now. You know, I'm I'm going out and,
1: and you know, we've put up the 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 people that I'm with now, the group that I'm in now, we've put out uh you know sound recording devices and things like mm-hmm. that. We have a thermal device, but and those things are not inexpensive <clears throat> and require resources. Mm-hmm. But I mean it there's not much that separates um, sort of your average uh, Bigfoot enthusiast to going out on a weekend and banging some trees and, and doing some howls and seeing what happens uh, with you know people who've been doing it for you know literally decades. Uh, it's it's some of these techniques are pretty basic and and I think the the expectation is though you know what what I think we we should all be striving for mm-hmm. is to be collecting data. Not that I think another recording of a howl or yet another hair that can't be identified or even another track will prove the animal is real. Though I think that all of those things combined should be making a bigger dent in the universe than they are. Um, but it's good to have the data. It's good to know that Mm. at this, at this point in this place, at this time, this piece of evidence was, was recorded. Um, that's, that's still valuable. Mm. And I also think that for some people, you know, just getting themselves in a spot where they can have a visual encounter is, is, is really what they're striving for. And I totally understand that. That's a that's a huge thing when it finally happens for you.
0: Well, yeah, you know, I think that's something I often ask myself out in the field. And I did have a one little incident in Scotland, which wasn't an incident, but I built it up in my mind in this deep, dark pine forest to being yeah, right. almost an incident. And right. um, I realized at that point in the experience, when well, there could be something there, I was alone, um, in the Great Glen Highway in January 2019. There was nobody around. I've been walking for hours, not seen a soul. And, uh, I thought I saw something on one of these big mossy hills ducked behind a tree, like a human-like figure. Uh-huh. I was in the corner of my eye. I'm sure it was just a second, but in that moment, I suddenly asked myself, the researcher that wants to see something. Okay. It's just you on the hill. Right. If something is here now that's an animal that can react in its own individual way and make a decision about you the way you can make a decision about it. Yep. Do you really want to be in this situation alone two hours away right. from the, you know, from from ground base? And it was a funny thought because for the first moment, I actually conceived of the reality of right. such an encounter. And I think a lot of us going out looking for things. I had a similar, um I didn't have the similar th- but i got out looking for a black panther in West Wales in 1999 after um, uh, a friend of my girlfriend's mother in a sort of a country estate had seen one while smoking on the porch at 5 a.m. that morning. So we knew it was around. And we were looking under hedgerows for nests and, you know, um, nesting sites and everything, uh, considering perhaps, you know, it, it could have had cubs. And then later I thought to myself, if you had found a panther, Andy, right. tucked away in a hedge, that's, that's a bad moment. Guarding her you. Young. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, the, what are you, what are you poking your head into the hedge for? And I think this is, you know, this is what's unreal, even about, uh, we who want to find this creature occasionally is that it's still in the make believe category until you see one. Yeah. Which brings me to my next question, which is, I believe there have been some sightings on your expeditions, oh. so but I'd, I'd love to hear about some of those.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can tell you about the 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 visual encounters that I was party to, but yeah, um, going all the way back in in this area, people that I know... Um, have had, uh, they've even collected evidence in, in the form of like footprints and things like that, or they've had visual encounters. And this goes all the way back to the early 2000s. It's been quite a long time that people that I know, obviously people before that were having experiences, um, but I don't know any of them. So, um, yeah, my, my visuals, um, and it's funny because I used to have this podcast called the Bigfoot show and, uh, mm-hmm. I get a lot of ribbing because at one point on the Bigfoot show, before I had my first visual sighting. I said that anyone who said they've seen it more than once is probably lying because, you know, it's just my, my assumption was that if you got to see one, it was sort of like winning the lottery. You know, it was mm. a totally random mm. event. You just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And, and what are the odds that it would ever happen to you again? It's like lightning striking. What I didn't realize is that putting yourself where they might be or putting yourselves in the case of Area X where we know they are yeah. and doing it repeatedly for long periods of time really increases your chances quite substantially. So I've had a number of of visual encounters and and they run the gamut. Some of them, you know, there's a couple, one or two that are like no doubters. And, and mm-hmm. then they sort of like get progressively less no doubting. But then they're sort of like still in a probably couldn't be anything else kind of range. And then they just keep going down from there. But yeah, I, I did try to make, because I knew I was going to be having this conversation and I thought yeah. maybe you would ask me.
0: It was I inevitable. A, I was going to ask. Sure.
1: I tried to make a list. I think I have, I have eleven different times when I I think that it was probably an ape, and okay. of those, um, I think three or four of them. Well, maybe more than that. About uh, upwards of half a dozen. Probably couldn't be anything else. And I think okay. the the best visual that I ever had was through a thermal device. Actually, we were. I was there with a team of uh four other guys and um we were sitting it it was a very hot week it was like 105 degrees uh fahrenheit that week so it was very very warm all week long and and dry and so we were in camp that night and it was just so brutally warm that we didn't do any of the things that we normally do we didn't have a fire because nobody could even think about having a fire (laughs) so we were sitting there sort of experimenting with this idea of just sitting in the pitch black we were sitting Mm. in in the dark there was no moon that night it was it was very very dark we were sitting in a circle like i said of like five of us i think one two three four yeah and i couldn't see anybody (laughs) that's how dark it was and uh a friend of mine who i just went to the woods with um you know week before last uh was using the thermal and looking around and he said that he saw something in the thermal that 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 looked like an animal. So he handed it to me. I'm like, okay. It was, his, it was his first time in there in the summer. It was sort of his first time in. So mm. I'm like, okay, yeah, give it to me. I'll, I'll see what that looks like. And I put the thing to my eye. And as soon as I put it into my eye, Andy, it was like there was an eight. It was, there were two trees. And in between these two trees, up on a slope, sort of up above where we were sitting, um, these two very large trees. And in between the trees, I saw, uh, filling the void between the trees, um, the classic ape silhouette of shoulders no neck pointy head that's what i saw clear as day as soon as i put the thing to my eye what was confusing to me was because it was so hot my experience with thermals is that animals Mm -hmm. are usually the hottest thing that you see through a thermal device and because heat glows in in these Mm -hmm. devices but because those trees had been sitting in the sun all day they were hotter than the animal so the animal was actually more was dim compared Uh to the trees but the shape the shape was perfect. And I'm like, anyway, there was miscommunication between Brandon and I. I I, I think in retrospect there were probably two animals, which is not unusual mm-hmm. in that area for there to be two animals in a sighting. That's actually really, really common. Um, so he was looking in one place and I was looking in a different place. But because it was so dark, I couldn't see where he was looking and he couldn't see where uh, I was looking. Okay. So I kept putting this thing up to my eye, and I kept seeing this perfect wood ape shape. And my brain, you know, at this point, I'd already seen them. You know, I'd already seen them, I'd already heard them, I'd already smelled them, I'd already had mm. rocks thrown at me by them multiple times. This was not my first rodeo, but my brain had a really hard time mm. of like, just grasping the fact that I was seeing it as perfectly as I did. So finally, I'm like, I've got to see what this is because it, it is an ape, right? It looks like an ape. So I got my flashlight. It was a really bright white flashlight. Um, and I, I shined it in that area. And with my eyes, I could see the trees, I could see some leaves, but I didn't really see anything else. Which, and then I put the thermal back up and I could see the ape again. Hmm. I was very confused, so I decided I'm just going to go up there and look, (laughs) you know, (laughs) which is sort of back to your (inaudible) body. (inaudible) Ah,
0: (inaudible) yeah, yeah,
1: right. So I put my light on it and I started walking in a straight line. I did not take my eyes off of that spot because I knew that there was some, Mm. there was at least something in there that looked like an ape on the thermal. So I'm walking along, I'm walking through the fire ring, which thankfully had no fire in it. I'm looking like literally, I'm like a tank going through everything. Mm. And when I got to the bottom of the slope, I saw it move. It, Uh It was gray. And so much like, you know um it was camouflaged because it was gray and i couldn't see the animal with the white Mm -hmm. light because it's just sort of blended into the background and i only saw that when i got too close for its comfort and it stepped probably to its left so from in my perspective from left to right out of the between these two trees that's and then i could see the hill behind it and everything else and then i was like uh, oh, <laughs> I see. It wasn't black. It wasn't red. It wasn't any of these other colors. It was gray, and it was wow. really big. When we put um, a guy up there the next day, uh, who was in our group, he was one third the size of, of this wow. animal. He 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 couldn't. He was. You could have put three of them in the space between these two trees that I saw, and it, this thing was absolutely massive. And so that was probably the best the best view I'd ever had of an ape. Um, and a real no doubter and and really you know creeped me out because this animal was literally invisible until it moved because mm-hmm. it was the color that it was and i think that, that that's a, a tactic that they employ you know stay still don't move and the humans will look right through you mm-hmm. i think they do that quite a lot actually um, But yeah so that that's one of them uh one of the visuals that I had down there and and so anyway yeah to Brandon was probably seeing a whole different animal in a whole different spot and you know it was just miscommunication on our part and because we couldn't see each other literally um to know you know where he was pointing and where I was pointing were two different places was,
0: was Brandon's ape also up slope in a different direction? it was no it
1: was actually down closer mm-hmm. to us so mm-hmm. It was smaller, and 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 my recollection of what he said is it was on the ground and sort of like mm. closer to us on the ground, sort of like on its belly, like it was trying to get close. That uh, is a, a thing that that's something they do. We- that's something they do. They're, they're super curious about us. Mm. They try to get close as close as they dare. They will do this again and again and again mm. um, because I do believe they have a, an intense curiosity. They are primates, you know, they're, mm. they've got great big brains and they're out in the forest and they don't have anything to do with them. Right. So I, I think that when something interesting like we come along um, depending on the animal, you know, maybe a younger one who's a little more daring, um, they will get remarkably close. And so I believe what happened is because we didn't have any lights on in the, in the camp, it was completely pitch dark. And these animals can probably see pretty good in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was feeling pretty bold. And of course, it would have no way of knowing that we could perceive it through the thermal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think what what happened is that Brandon picked up, he was looking more down. I put it and I was looking more up. Um, so I just think it was... You know, we sort of randomly saw two different apes, and like I said again, in, in 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 the data, there are so many mm. examples of multiple apes being seen it, in this um, particular area. Yeah,
0: in this so particular, that, I guess which is super confirm your yeah suspicion about family yeah. area
1: being a family yeah. it, We have uh, the NAWC has reports of, of 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 members and and other people outside the group seeing uh, small young apes in the valley uh, sort of chimp sized hmm. um, what's interesting to me is i don't know if these pairs i don't know if they're like mated pairs like uh-huh. you know male female i don't know if they're like young if they're offspring and parent mm-hmm. i don't know what these pairs are it's usually a much bigger animal and a much smaller animal but even the smaller uh-huh. one is usually like human size you know they're not okay. like feet really tall um, so i i don't think that there's enough data to be able to say what these pairs represent, Um,
0: but there's a ton of them. There's a lot of pairs. Wow. I mean, it's really, it must be really intimidating as we discussed earlier to be out there and to suddenly find yourself in that moment. I mean, nicer that you're out there with, with friends, with colleagues. Yeah. Um, But there's still a huge animal that could do an awful amount of damage to a human, even a group of humans. I'm sure. Yeah. The, the combined strength of the group couldn't take one on. So, um, you know, do you ever worry about you know, these reactive stories and you know, these sensational stories you see all over YouTube and, uh, attacks and, uh, provocations and, and even, you know, the big male coming in and smacking one of you or the, the, aiming a yeah. stone just right to, to take somebody out no. in the camp? Have you ever had any near misses? I, I think that. I think that all wild animals can
1: be dangerous, you know. Mm. Bunny rabbits can be dangerous. In, in the right situation, they can they'll, yeah. they'll do amazing things to defend their young or what have you. Mm. Um deer can be dangerous. M- moose are some of the most dangerous animals you're going to find oh, in nice. the forest. Uh so wild animals can be dangerous. I think that I think that after you spend enough time around these animals, they do try to intimidate you. I, I think that's true. I think that there are at least some of them who will do things with uh, trees or foliage or rocks or and, and you know throwing things and 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 making loud noises that I do believe are intended to intimidate. Uh, but there's really no experience that I've had or that anyone I know in there has had that. Well, there was one, but but there's very few experiences I would say that even border on something that could have been threatening or 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 genuinely dangerous. Um, they're very, very few and far between. And so what I, what I've come to realize, and I'll tell you the first week I was in there that the, the first week, um, when not the, not the first time I went in there, but the first time I was in there for a whole week, um, which was also the week that I had my first, my first visual, uh, sighting of these animals. That was a crazy week for me. We we don't have enough time to cover all the crazy shit that happened that week, but I, I was, I was genuinely freaked out they were they were clearly there they were they were uh pushing at us you know i think they were being really sort of um i wouldn't say aggressive but they were being hmm. very um you know they were being very insistent and um and when i i remember specifically when i drove out of the valley that that week i was telling myself that i was never ever going back in there <laughs> again as long as i lived i thought it was, it was a madhouse i was never going to do that again but i did and so now now I do things like I just described to you. Like if I think there's an ape over there, I just walk to it. I just walk into it. And I remember when I first started going out doing this sort of thing, someone would say that to me and like it boggled my mind. I couldn't even conceive of being in a, in a situation where you would, there's an ape in that bush, let's go. Like I would yeah. never, I would have like turned around and ran the other direction. Um, But I think you just sort of like you kind of get how they act and they mm-hmm. are a lot of bluster and they don't really want to engage
0: physically. Um they seem to be very cautious not, not in the they distance couldn't. they keep anyway. And I, I think that's, I think, for yeah, such a large I, I, animal, I, 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 that's a strange thing. A bear wouldn't be so cautious. And um, and it's funny as well that you feel so comfortable to approach because something of a similar size, like, like a bear, for example, you'd never try to right. get close to one. And it denotes, to me, it denotes intelligence, you know, that they are curious and yet not, um... I think that they're definitely more,
1: yeah, they're more intelligent than the average bear, that's for darn sure. Mm. And, uh, you know, the hostility thing is interesting because I believe that if if they were, if they were very hostile towards humans, um, they would have ended up like the California grizzly bear, you know, they Mm. would have been hunted to extinction. We would have, we would have gone out there and killed every last one of them because that's what Mm. happened. In the wilds of, of this continent, you know, the really dangerous animals were were either literally driven to extinction or pushed right up against it. And these animals, I think, either through adaptation or just because it's inherent in, in you know, what they are, mm. they've always been more cautious and, and less, I think, prone to aggressive behavior. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not saying that mm. it could never happen. I think that it is really overblown because people are looking for clicks they're looking for you know people to watch videos they want to you know engage folks and sell ads on podcasts and things like that Mm -hmm. i think that the the sort of um the the trope of the scary bigfoot who wants to you know grab the women and take them into the forest Mm -hmm. and do god knows what i think that's way overblown i just think that that's Mm -hmm. it's not my experience with these animals they're just they're just not that aggressive
0: I have to agree with what I've read and what I've researched and and heard. I've never had an experience, but I've never spoken to anybody genuinely who, although they may have been afraid, they didn't feel that they were going to be hurt. They may have been frightened, very frightened, enough to get out of there. And that's part of the bluff charge. But it was even a a sighting I took, allegedly, in England, not far from here, where the creature was tearing up the you know the forest just outside of a, a deep railway tunnel uh, where some boys had been investigating and um all kinds of screams and cheers and everything else was going on but they never saw the creature and it never left the security of the forest or tried to attack them and suddenly it went quiet and then slowly died down they heard something walking away and you have to think to yourself well you know, something do that kind of damage to the forest. And there are no large predators like that in, in the UK, no bears or yeah. anything else. Even a, a red deer is probably not going to do that damage. Um So, what could it have been? And why Why didn't it attack these boys? It clearly was very angry that they were there. And you hear stories like that all the time. There's bluff charge again and again and again, yeah. which reminds me of apes, and obviously brings me to, to the next question, actually, is... Is it, what do you think they are taxonomically speaking what do you think we're dealing
1: with you know i'm not a i'm not a biologist and i never went to school for anything even close to that sort of thing i i as far as i'm concerned they're apes i don't know exactly where they fit in the family tree you know so to speak but um they they do things that apes do they sound like apes they make sounds that that, that sound like chimpanzees sometimes i've heard that uh, sort of a pant hoot kind of sound. They make whooping sounds that sound like gibbons. Um, they make roaring sounds that sound like mm-hmm. gorillas. So they do lots of things that sound like great apes. Um, they, they they walk upright like we do, at least some of the time. Not always. I think they also will will move um, in you know quadrupedally or or mm-hmm. you know they'll walk bent over. Um, I've seen them do that too. Um, so I, I I don't know what they are. I don't know where they stand. I you know I listened to your conversation um, that you had with Matt Pruitt and, you know, he's, he's probably got a, a, a much more, um, you know, informed opinion on that than I would just because I don't understand the taxonomy of all of the, you know, distant humans. I don't think they're human. And I think Mm -hmm. that I don't, and I don't think based on my experience that, that we would classify them that way. They don't have a culture of, they don't have a material culture. They don't have Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, they don't, um, I'm not saying they don't use rocks as tools. I think that I found evidence yeah. that they do. They, they will use rocks, at least some of the smaller ones, I assume, will use rocks to break open nuts and things like that. But there's no evidence that they're creating tools. There's no evidence mm. that they're, that they have you know, technology like woven mats or anything like that, you know, the, you know, some, some very old and suspect stories aside, there's just no evidence of that. So they, they do things that gorillas do, which is, which is not to say that gorillas aren't really smart and gorillas Mm -hmm. don't deserve a certain amount of respect. Um, I think that, that all animals deserve a certain amount of respect. Um, but, but I don't think that they're, they're really anything like, humans as far as um development and intelligence goes there's just in in all the time that i've been in an area where they are i've just not found any evidence that that they are they are hyper curious they're super curious they're very tactical um i think they're very clever but again uh, chimpanzees are very tactical orangutans are, are very clever yeah um so and and i think that a lot of people don't even understand how incredibly smart orangutans are and the things that they can do um so in my mind they're of that ilk you know i feel like they're gorillas like bigger than gorilla size they're super big really smart apes and and um what that means i'll leave to people who are a lot more educated on this stuff than i am Sure, and
0: it makes sense to me. And uh, going back to your point about uh, people's assessment of how smart animals are, most animals are smart within their sphere, aren't they? And um, a pride of lions are great ambush predators. They're smart within that sphere. And these guys clearly are masters of of that forest environment. And I also thought back about what you said about the grey fur. I wonder if that was it appeared gray within the light at night i wonder if it actually was gray, or is this some sort of it's blended yeah. tricolor fur that you often see described yep i i
1: it, it appeared gray in my in my light um mm. but that does not mean it was gray now there's lots of reports of gray large gray apes in in, in and around that area uh whether or not it's the same gray ape i can't say um but there are reports of large gray apes in there i've seen if you count that one i've seen probably three different times i've seen a gray ape again i don't know if it's the same gray ape that was clearly the best view i had of Mm -hmm. a gray ape um so it's definitely if it's not the exact same one um and i I don't know you know it could be i suppose but if it's not the exact same one then it's then it's clearly sort of a a variation that's not uncommon especially as they get larger i don't think we've ever seen a small gray ape Uh, i don't know Mm. anyone who's ever described a small one they're always large um you know the tactical thing i have two sort of real world examples of that that i can point to one of the things that we um that we sort of divined over time was that if you were acting in a way as though you thought you had that, that it appeared as though you had busted an ape you knew where one was mm. uh-huh. another ape would do a distracting sort of mm. maneuver behind you that rock or something like that and it became such a such a trope for us it became such a thing (laughs) that we actually tested that theory on a team that was i was on i was like we're going to go over to this we're going to go over to this bush and we're going to pretend like there's an ape in there and we're going to see what happens there wasn't an ape in there this was purely an experiment Mm. on our part and it happened we we went over there we started yelling and flashing our lights around and acting like we always act when when we thought there was an ape nearby and sure enough behind us a rock hit the cabin, which would invariably get us to turn around and run over there. So that, that, there is a, um, I don't think they're working in concert. I think that they're reacting mm. in a mm. way that shows understanding of tactics and cause and effect. So if I do this, they'll do that kind of mm. kind of thinking. And then um, more recently, our mutual friend Rich uh, mm. had, had a visual sighting in the area uh, that we're in now um, and very briefly, sort of the setup for this is he, he and a mate were walking along, um, and the path to, cause they wanted to sort of set up and see what they could see towards dusk. They had stopped in one spot by the Creek. It was too loud. So they decided to go to a different spot and they did that kind of quietly. They moved, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, 40 yards down the road. And then what, what Rich saw was an ape sitting looking at where they had been like it had been mm. sort of you know, tracing them sort of mm. tracking them because that's the thing that we've also lots of stories about that about apes following people in the woods and we've always thought suspected that they would do that so in this case what it appeared as though this animal had been tracking them saw them stop there and then had repositioned itself to get a better view not knowing that they had moved and mm. so What he saw was the sort of the back of this ape's head looking in the direction where they had been. And the part that demonstrates a sort of an understanding of tactics and, and to your point, a really, a real intelligence about their environment is when we, when we found this spot, it was kneeling down up against a tree. The, the impressions for its knees were more than double the width of my knees. They were just absolutely massive. Um, but it was kneeling down back up against this tree uh its coloration would have done a really good job of having it blend in but most importantly that time of day the sun was behind the tree and it was in the shadow of the tree Uh, so it was in a very sort of tactically superior mm -hmm. position if it just wanted to get a good view but not be seen itself uh it was in the shadows it wasn't moving it it was blending into its environment it just didn't know that rich had moved and so (laughs) uh rich Rich saw through his binoculars. He had a really mm. good view of the back okay. of his head. Um and then he went to tell his buddy that it was over there. And when he looked back, it, it had been at that point it was gone. Okay. So, so they'd already uh, they'd already been sprung in the time it took them to turn around. Yeah. yeah. I suspect that m- my feeling is that the ape, when it sat down, when it knelt next to that tree, it looked and it's like, well, they're not there anymore. And it was like, What's wow. going on? And then maybe oh, heard Rich say something to Steve and and that was enough, you know. And wow. um, they are incredibly quick when they need to be.
0: Well yeah, I think it's I think it's a really fantastic study. I think it it's you're having so much activity that can one could only hope, I suppose, that um that defining evidence, you know, yeah will be within grasp, especially if these animals get used to you over time. I would imagine if they are intelligent that they're already starting to recognize some of the individuals like yourself that are that are appearing in the in the group, uh, is it on a yearly basis or a seasonal basis that you go there?
1: Um, well, if you go all the way back to the ANAWAC time, you know the first the first trip in there, I think, was the first organized trip in there was two thousand and one. Um, that was a BFRO trip. Uh, there's like there were two. I think they did that two years in a row. And but the 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 people that I'm familiar with have been going in there since the mid two thousands. Um, and then the sort of annual long duration um, attempts started uh, sort of about 2008, I want to say. I think that's right. Maybe 2000, I think 2008-ish. Um, so later 2000s. And so I've been in there. I mean, I've not been in there the most of the people I know. I mean, I know people have probably been in there a hundred times. I've been in there a couple dozen times, probably at least. Okay. Um, you know, try to make it a week at a time. I've been in there all different times of the year. Um the most productive times of the year as far as as activity goes, um, I found are spring and fall. Um though I've had great things happen in the in the heat of summer, um and winter is pretty quiet for for all kinds of reasons I suspect. But um I don't I, the yeah, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. Now that I've been No you are. <laughs> so no,
0: absolutely you are. I just didn't want to, to butt in. Um no, absolutely. So, okay. I mean in, in relation to that, do, do you think personally do you, do you see a big reveal in the near future or do you think that these these animals will continue to evade us well i don't i don't know what the nwc
1: is doing um you know for a long time when i was a member of the group they were trying to collect a specimen they were trying mm. to you know take an ape um and bring at least enough of it out to to prove that they exist um oh, wow. i don't, know, I don't I don't think that they're as active in that pursuit as they once were. The, the group that I'm going in with, we just don't have the resources and we're not on private property. And there's all kinds of reasons why it would be really sort of um, irresponsible for us to do anything like that. So, and as far as other groups go, you know, I think about the the guys that are operating in the um, Olympic Peninsula. I don't think it's their intention to, to bring out a specimen. I do believe that that's the only way this is going to end, that this question uh-huh. will ever be solved. As I alluded to earlier, you talk to yeah. folks like, like Cliff Barakman and Jeff Meldrum, the footprint evidence is incredibly compelling. It's incredibly mm-hmm. compelling. Yeah. It goes back decades. Um, has not moved the needle really mm. that much. Uh, the audio recordings, I think, are very compelling. These are not other animals in the woods. These are not elk or something like that. I think that it's very compelling. The hairs that have been discovered... Uh, are very compelling. They don't match any other known animal's mm. hair. So you put all the and, and of course you've got literally thousands and thousands of of eyewitness accounts. You put yeah. all this together and and you know if we were talking about a a, a form of badger, <laughs> it probably, that
0: would be good enough, right? But we're not. It would be. It would have been more than good enough. I mean, <laughs> some animals in the past have been identified based upon scat. Right. You know, the, oh. the, their presence has been accepted based right. on the presence of scat. I right. it was something like the, um, the billy ape, which I know is a subspecies, you know, but mm-hmm. this, this huge chimp that was reputed to live and everybody said, no, 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 it's not there. Come on. you know, this, These are natives telling you tall tales. Right. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's a bunch of really badass apes living in that jungle that had bigger and taller and stronger and behaved differently to all right. these other chimpanzees that we're aware of. And that was identified, I think, by a pelt or a skull or something. Right. even a skull. Something smaller than that. I, I, I won't go into it because I know I'm getting it wrong. But it was something. It was already accepted before they got there and they found them and they recorded them. But I suppose, with people, you know, it's a big ask because right. the fossil record is not reflecting it and we are... You know, we are in the position of having to prove it. Right, that's those are the rules. Right, and um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. Well, I don't, I, 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 know I, I, why. I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have
1: a problem mm. with the position to prove it. What I have a problem with is yeah. people who should know better actively avoiding the subject and not, mm. you know. I've said this before, but if you round it off to the nearest zero, the number of people who are in the woods at any given moment trying to answer this question, it's zero. Like it's just yeah. not enough people. Um, there aren't enough resources being employed. Yeah. There, there there just isn't the there isn't the resource of a, of a university at play or some other kind of of wildlife organization and it's because of the subject matter it's because it's bigfoot oh, and you know it's 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 tabloid fodder and it's a joke um but it's it's not a joke these animals are are real and and it's frustrating to me that 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 people who i think do know better and should hmm. know better aren't pursuing it because of the cultural stigma associated with it um that's really unfortunate
0: so Sorry for interrupting you, uh, Brian. Do you think with people like Meldrum, for example, who talks openly about his faculty members trying to push him out of his job and right. him only being saved by having tenure before he exactly. started this mission, other people will be all, all aware of the same thing. I yeah. wonder, again, is it a big ask for somebody with a career you know that's going to continue, that's going to lead them to th- these accolades and pensionable retirable comfort, mm-hmm. the infant to risk all of them on this you know, on this as uh, semi-mythical creature as far as I, they're concerned, they might see some compelling evidence and maybe a lot of them would like to agree with Jeff, but you know, to do so openly would be professional suicide.
1: I, I and I think that a lot of them do, but they don't, and it shouldn't be, is what I'm saying. That that's exactly yeah, what no, it
0: shouldn't be. Yeah.
1: The reality is they can't. Um but the 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 other reality is that there is so much evidence Mm. of these animals in my mind and this i felt this way before i even saw one this i felt this way Mm. before i went into area x for the first time this was i was i was probably a lot like you and and you know i had read a lot i had Mm. talked to a lot of people um i i was lucky enough to to have you know engaged with people who had had encounters and for me it became the preponderance of evidence was such it was Mm. harder for me to explain it all away Mm. as. You know um hallucination or fabrication like you you literally it was just so hard to try to explain all of it away that the preponderance of evidence in my mind said that if we were at trial right, if this was a jury trial, the jury would come back with okay, yeah. there's something there And yeah. that's that's who I was um and I just wish that that scientists could could be scientific about
0: this and and not you often know. the case. I mean, yeah, it doesn't work that way. No, I it mean, doesn't. Yeah, I'm not telling you. I know you know this, right. but for the audience, it doesn't work that way. And there are no research grants for Bigfoot. You know, she's not. Right. I'm, I'm the equivalent of that old man yelling a cloud gif. I totally understand. I mean, <laughs> the I, I, end I'm, is nigh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. But look, um, one day that old man's going to be proved right too. And, um, <laughs> you know, that banner he's been holding up will become, <laughs> eventually, all <the> soul, <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure eventually. And it's the same thing. I think it's, I think it's admirable. I respect it. Um, because we need more people like yourself and your group going out there as you have been doing and collecting evidence. You mentioned, you know, data collection. My mm-hmm. main tool when I'm out there is a notepad, mm-hmm. a pencil. Oh, yeah. I wish use a pencil because, you know, you want to rub stuff out. They haven't not got it right. Notepad and a pencil uh, in a waterproof sort of zip it bag. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and the tape measure and all the other things you take. But generally, it's a, it's a notepad and a pencil. And if I see something, I take notes. Because...
1: I, I, I can't overstress how important that is. I can't overstress how important that is. You know, and there's so many things that have happened to me that would have just completely left my memory. Had um, every time I go into the woods, I'm either recording those notes or someone with me is. Mm. Um, because it is just so critically important to to get all that written down. Mm. Memory is a weird thing and the, you know, it doesn't take long to get away from a, from an event to start having memory do things to it, you know, as it gets transferred from short term to long term, some, you know, things get dropped or added or whatever. Um, So, but having those notes, you know, uh, having a video recording of the of the an account of mm-hmm. what happened right after it happened is really important i think that is just so so important to because mm-hmm. what we really want we do need this is all data of a kind not that anyone cares to look at it right now except you know enthusiasts like us but it's all data and so it needs to be recorded and so every everything that you think um a- appears to be uh, the target species doing its thing; it needs to be recorded, and I, I just think that's so so important. And it's not just wood apes; it's any kind of animal that you go out there to to study. Um, it's 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 really important because your your brain will do things to you. Um, it's not necessarily <laughs> it's, it's not
0: your friend sometimes. Your brain I, plays I, its own game of Chinese whispers uh, over time. You know, with the retelling... I have, exactly. I have the experience yeah. of rereading accounts that I was present for. Yeah.
1: I there for and I reread the account like oh, oh I don't remember book. that like that, that that's new like really that happened just because you know brains are funny
0: things and they do funny brains things Brains are funny things and often not the most accurate um right vessels for for for, for, for memory strangely for enough sure. um I think we'll leave it there but Brian I just wanted to let everybody know where they can find you, how they can support your group oh, and and how to contact you they've got a sighting or they want to discuss something that they've discovered?
1: Well, I'm on Instagram. Um, uh, I'm no longer on Facebook. Uh, but I actually am on Facebook, but I'm not literally on Facebook. I'm not yeah. active. I'm on Instagram. Uh, my handle is uh, the number nine, the word six, the number seven. So nine, six, seven. Um, the group that I'm part of is called the Wood Ape Research Group. Uh, yeah. Our website, which we'll be launching shortly, is woodaperesearch.group um and we're we're you know we're seeking members we're not really seeking funding at this point from people because i don't think we have you know the organization set up but uh i would love to hear um accounts of of people especially either in minnesota where i live or down in oklahoma where we do most of our work that would be really interesting for sure um but i would i would say those are the ways you can get a hold of me fantastic
0: it's been educational it's um bucket list ticked off And uh, thank you for coming on. It's been amazing. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you.